Welcome to the On Her Turf podcast, everyone. I'm Catherine Tappan. We're very excited this week with our guests, Chief of Musculoskeletal Medicine, Director of Residency Training, and Director of Women's Sports Medicine at Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. Dr. Monica Rowe is joining us. She is a sports medicine physician at Northwestern University. And currently, she serves as the team physician for the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. She traveled with them to the 2019 World Cup in France, where the team won its fourth title. That is a new record. And Dr. Rowe, thank you so much for joining me. We're so excited to have you this week. I'm so excited to be here and talk with you today. Yeah, how are you doing? How was your summer? I mean, how exciting to travel with the U.S. Women's National Team when they took home gold. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think you can beat a summer like that. I have pretty good uh, summer pictures for, from this summer. You know, when you, you know that, uh, that feeling when everyone gets back and uh, swing of things in fall and talks about what they did that summer, I think I have a pretty good story to tell. Yeah, you certainly do. I mean, just take me back to how you managed to work with the U.S. Women's National Team, the, the path of your current role and what got you there. Sure, yeah. So I, um, I'm very fortunate. I've worked with U.S. Soccer since 2015. Uh, the chief medical officer of U.S. Soccer is George Champis. Um, he is a ER sports medicine physician at Northwestern where I work, and we've overlapped in a various um, uh, sporting events and sports coverage events, and he had me work with um, U.S. soccer starting in 2015, but in 2017, he gave me a great opportunity to start working with the women's team. Um, I function as the, uh, the team physician coordinator for the team. There are uh, three physicians that have predominantly worked with the team um, through the World Cup run, and so I help kind of coordinate the team of physicians um, to make sure that we have good continuity of care for all of our athletes. That's awesome. Well, I mean, off the top of this podcast, I rattled off a lot of big words and um, impressive distinctions of, of what, you, uh, what you've what you achieved in your career, Dr. Rowe. But can you give us a simplified version of the day-to-day of what you do um, when you're not working with the U.S. and women's national team? Sure. I, you know, I, I'm very fortunate. I love my job at home. I also love my job with the team. But um, uh, I am actually on the faculty at Northwestern University where I'm an associate professor. Um, I get the opportunity to teach medical students. Uh, residents and fellows um, in medicine and in physical medicine and rehabilitation and um, and in sports medicine. And so um, some of the titles I have is I'm one of the residency program directors. So um, Northwestern has one of the largest physical medicine and rehabilitation residencies in the country. So it's about 40 residents that we have. And um, we, uh, so I'm actually the director of that residency program. So I really enjoy uh, teaching and developing curriculum and uh, career development for young physicians. Um, I also teach at the medical school, and then we have two sports medicine fellows every year that we train um, to become full-fledged sports medicine attendings. So that is one of the hats I wear back at Northwestern and at the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. And then the other hat that I wear is um, the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab has a musculoskeletal section, and so that's actually, um, uh, we, we focus on sports medicine, spine medicine, um, women's sports medicine, um, women's musculoskeletal health. And so we have a group of about eight physicians that do that that I oversee. Um, and we have about over 30 physical therapists that work with us. Um, and we have a nursing staff of about eight people as well. And so I kind of run uh, that group um, as well. Oh, my goodness. So free time is at a premium for you. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? What what I'm really fortunate um, is that I have wonderful people that 
work with me. So, I, I mean, no, no person is an island. So in all of the roles and hats that I have, I have a lot of support. And so my colleagues back at the hospital, especially when I was away for the World Cup, I mean, they're very supportive. A lot of people pitched in and helped out. And, and frankly, um, uh, the Internet and, uh, you know, Skype and all these things uh, make it much easier to kind of do the job when you're traveling as well. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I agree with that. It certainly has made our lives easier, sometimes more difficult at times right. uh, because we are constantly connected. But, um, but yeah, it sounds like, you know, when you have a great team around you, and that, that's one of the underlying themes that we talk about on this podcast a lot is just being able to have that support um, at right. home and at work to be able to achieve your goals, right? Absolutely. It's so critical. It's so critical because, uh, you know, in any uh, – it's interesting. Medicine used to be this um, – um, this thing where you think, oh, you just go in and you see the doctor and the doctor fixes you. But really, medicine mm-hmm. has gone away from that model, and it's team-based care for, for all facets of medicine, not just sports medicine. So, um, so really, it, being a part of a team is just natural to me because of uh, my medical training now. Yeah. Take me back to your childhood, because I know sports played a role when you were growing up as well. Um, You you played soccer as a kid. You said you were never quite good enough to play in college, but you also really loved math and science. And uh, that's, yeah. So describe to me, um, you know, how significant sports was for you growing up and then why you decided to become a doctor um, after you had excelled in math and science. Yeah. um, So, you know, I've wanted to be a doctor for almost as long as I can remember, but it really started, the most poignant story I can remember is um, I played uh, a lot of sports growing up, and when I was 13, I had a knee injury. And it was, in hindsight, is a very minor knee injury. And I went to see a sports medicine physician, and he was very much like, well, stop playing, it's okay, just stop. And I just felt that it was a very dismissive experience for myself. And... Um, I remember leaving that office being really upset and, and um, uh, telling my mom and, and, and getting this feeling that if, um, if I were a boy, I feel like he would have had a different conversation with me because I think he would have thought sports meant more to a male athlete than a female athlete. And so I remember telling my mom, we have to go find a woman's sports medicine doctor. <laughs> and I remember asking her, and she actually went and looked for one, and we couldn't find one in our area. And it was around that time when I was 13 where I finally decided, you know what, I think I want to be a sports medicine doctor. And so, you know, I I think what's really important about um, uh, growth in general is know your strengths. And so I knew that I loved athletics. I loved being a part of a team, but I was not athletically gifted enough to become professional like some of the players that I work with. Um, But I was very good at school. And um And that was a transition point for me. And so athletics still remained a big part of my life. But I had a new goal of, you know, if I can't be the athlete, I'm going to be part of the team that helps support the athlete. And so um, I really went into college and to medical school really knowing that at some point I wanted to take care of um, athletes. And in particular, I really always wanted to take care of female athletes. And so that's always been a a pretty big goal of mine um, uh, ever since I was young. Yeah, that's I love I love that story. And I mean, I think we are seeing a trend in the upward direction of women in many different roles, whether it's the business world. um, Women are getting involved in professional sports uh, in the NBA, in the NFL. We're seeing female referees on the field every Sunday. I'm curious in women's sports medicine. Are you seeing an upward trend of more women in the industry? 
Absolutely. So it's it's very interesting because, you know, as I described earlier, the other hat that I wear is that I am in education. And so I really do think it's important if you see people who are doing this that look like you, um, then it, it makes it an easier path for you to follow. So um, I've been very fortunate. I've had great role models and mentors in my medical career. Um, some of them are men and some of them are women. And, um, and I do feel that there is an importance of continuing to um, mentor young women who want to go into fields of medicine or any sort of science and math field or STEM field um, to encourage them because I think we need to see the things that we want to become and the more that we see it and get exposed to it, the more likely it is people are going to not only take that but take it to the next level. And that's yeah. that's a big, um, uh, that's a big uh, career aspiration of mine that I, I continue to uh, encourage uh, younger people to go into this field. You know, you work with athletes so often, and, and not just the U.S. Women's National Team, but also in your day-to-day and um, in your dealings in the Chicago area with, you know, athletes that are coming to you, whether they're high school or younger level. Um, right. I'm, I'm just, I just want to get your perspective on the importance of sports on girls and women, because we talk a lot with athletes on this podcast about empowering young women, and sports can teach so much from teamwork to work ethic to, you know, pushing aside some things that are not as significant and just making sure you turn the page right. quickly and move forward. Right. Um, what do you think is the importance of sports that you've had the experience of seeing? Well, beyond the things you just mentioned, self-esteem. I really mm-hmm. think that sports gives uh, women an opportunity to develop their own sense of self. Um, I think it gives people challenges in life, and sometimes we don't know what we can achieve unless we're challenged to do something. Um, and so sports oftentimes presents the challenge. I also think um, sports in general, it's not just the victory in sports that helps people grow, it's the defeat. How do you pick yourself up after you don't get a spot on a team or a roster? Or how do you pick yourself up after a disappointing loss? I think those types of life lessons also are really important to self-esteem so that um, women aren't tying themselves to outcomes, but they're tying themselves to the process of what it means to be an athlete. So um, there's been a lot of data out there that has shown that uh, young girls who play participate in sports, they have better grades, they have better self, self-esteem, they have better body image, and all these things are really uh, prominent issues that our young women face as they're growing up in this day and age with social media and all these different pressures. So um, I really do think sports is a great avenue to help tackle a lot of those issues. Yeah, and you certainly deal with a lot of the the psychological aspect of sports and, and, you know, getting people on the right path. I I know you mentioned um, when you were experiencing your times with the U.S. Women's National Team, you said when patients come to see you, they tell you about experiencing anxiety. But when you're actually traveling with the team, you live it. You see firsthand, and it enhances your ability to care for your patients. Uh, How do you, and I know there's probably no black and white answer for this, and everybody's different, but how do you advise your clients, your athletes, on dealing with anxiety? Because I feel like right now we have so many outside influences around us. You mentioned phones and, you know, social media and all these other things. Um, is there a clear-cut way that, that people can handle that stress and that added anxiety in their lives? So it's interesting. It's, um, it's, sometimes it's, it, it's, anxiety is one way to say it. I think it's just managing pressure in life, right? And so how do you um, manage the pressure in your life or how do you manage the situations of your life? Um, and I think that uh, what I was saying before, if people are grounded and know who they are 
and what they're capable of, and they're confident in the work that they've put in. I don't uh, often see that as um, I, I don't often see them kind of getting overly anxious or are having issues along those lines. I do think um, the confidence piece is huge, and um, you know I think it was very evident with the uh, women's national team this summer. Confidence is something that uh, the team doesn't have trouble with, right? And so, and it's, <laughs> and they embrace their confidence, and they embrace the fact that they um, uh, they put in the work to know that they can get the job done when the uh, when um, they were called upon to do the job. And so um, I think building confidence is the best way to help um, manage, what you know, anxiety and manage kind of uh, people in those moments where they have to demonstrate res- resiliency and they have to demonstrate um, that they trust in the work that they've put in. And so, um, so it's a confidence-building process, I think. You had the opportunity to be around those women this summer. And, I mean, they are just tremendous role models for young girls. Um, I've had the opportunity to sit with some of them on this podcast. They are forces of nature. I mean, when they walk into the room, <laughs> yes. it's like it, it, you can just feel it. They uh, yes, Obviously, yes. you talk about that confidence. But, you know, you were around them for an extended period of time over a month overseas. What was it like for you when you saw the interactions that they had with young girls all around the world? You know, I have to say, people ask me what the best part is, and I have to say, for me, uh, walking through a tunnel at the same time as one of the players walking out and seeing the crowd just descend upon them and and looking at them as role models, I didn't have that as a kid. It wasn't as prominent for me as a kid growing up to have those female athletic role models um, to the same degree that uh, they've become household names. And that is one of my favorite parts of any game, um, coming out and seeing all the young faces, boys and girls, who get so excited about watching their heroes play. And, and then on the flip side of it, not to sound too motherly uh, with the players, <laughs> but just watching how they handle that and how uh, serious they take that responsibility and how much they view that as part of their, jo- as part of their job and as part of their um, almost human duty to move the movement, to, to push the movement forward. Um, they take that very seriously, and uh, it's just so, it makes me feel so good that they're moving in that direction to help inspire the next generation who's, you know, if, if we're successful at this movement, the next generation always does better than the generation before. And just to see them so invested in that mission um, is one of, the, one of the best parts for me. Yeah. What was it? Um, what were your interactions like with the players on a day to day basis? Um, you know, did they come to you quite often for advice uh, aside from like the physical? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, it's funny. I was just giving a talk um, to a bunch of physicians and um, uh, and uh, I, I was describing the phenomenon of living with your patients. Right. So most physicians don't have the opportunity to live with their patients. And so, um, you know, I, I certainly was on the road with them for five weeks during the World Cup, but for two years prior to that, or a year and a half prior to that, I was also on the road with them, you know, uh, um, usually once a month for at least a week to 10 days. And so um, that forges a different sort of patient-physician relationship than um, um, than your typical, you know, someone's going to come see me in the office. And so, um, you know, what's really nice about the team environment is that we, we all are in the environment together. So our meals are all within the same meal room. We uh, take the bus together to training. Uh, the training room is open most of the day and players drop in and 
um, bring up concerns, and we try to make it an open uh, – our goal is to make an open-door policy so they can really come to us about everything because that's what we're here for. We're here for you know, to answer their every question, um, no matter how big or small it is, because if that's going to affect their performance, that's what we're here to help with, and we're, we're, we're trying to maximize their health so that uh, they can perform at their peak. And so, um, so yeah, so the players come by to the training room a lot. Sometimes some of the players just drop by just to, just to talk and say hi and not talk about medical things. And oftentimes people are just getting treatment or recovery, and then we strike up various conversations about their lives and what's going on outside of soccer because I think sometimes people just want to talk a little bit about stuff outside of soccer too. And so, um, so it's, the training room is just a great environment um, for all of us. It's not just me, myself in the training room, our head athletic trainer, our three athletic trainers that also travel with us. We have this great um, environment within the training room to make it open and welcoming to all the players to fit whatever needs they have in the moment. Yeah, I think that's so cool. But I, I also wonder, though, because, you know, when you are receiving information, um, it's such a close-knit group for such a long time. Are there ever any moments of, of blurred lines, so to speak, where you receive, you know, some kind of information, whether it's an off, you know, off-the-record conversation you have with a player, and not just the women's national team, but I just mean your, your clients in general and your patients in general, where there's something maybe concerning that you have to take it to the next level, even though that conversation happened very privately and with a lot of confidence behind it and, and mm-hmm. confidentiality? Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, I think the important thing in those, in those types of scenarios is um, I make it very clear to the, patient, to the athletes, I'm not their friend, right? So I'm their doctor. I'm not there to be their friend, right? Um, and, and nor do players want me to be their friend. Right. And so I think it's important to distinguish that line so that um, I have the ability to then help in um, in areas where I think uh, are important and need to be taken to the next level in a very professional manner. Even though, again, like I said, we do um, essentially live together for a good part of the year, you know. Um, But uh, but, you know, in terms of obviously if there were situations that arose that, you know, where someone's health was in danger or in jeopardy, I mean, you know, my first duty to the player and the team is that uh, I'm their physician and I'm, I'm there to look for, out for their overall well-being. And so to me, that's always a priority. Of all the achievements that you've had in your career, uh, where does this rank, having the opportunity <laughs> to work with this women's national team? Well, it would be very uh, unusual for me to say that it wasn't at the top. I mean, it really is. I don't. I really don't think you can beat this type of professional experience. Um, just a, a, a personal experience from my own personal experience of having a sports medicine physician who may not have understood me as a female athlete, um, but then also this global experience of um, of seeing uh, young girls and young boys view athletes differently because they see very powerful female athletes out there. I mean, I don't really think you can get another experience where you have all of those things wrapped up into one nice little package that happened in France, uh, you know, over the summer. I think it, it so it'd be really hard to, hard for anyone to beat this experience. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you stay in touch with uh, a lot of the members of the team? 
Well, I'm actually still traveling with them. So, oh, okay, so, uh, on a regular I think basis. A lot of people Got it. Think we just come in for the World Cup and then leave, but uh, it's ongoing. So during the Victory Tour games, I was with them for four of the games, and then we have a November. Uh, we have some camps coming up, and uh, I'll be with them during the camps coming up as well. So uh, my it. my relationship with the team is still ongoing. I get uh, emails on, almost on a daily basis. I get phone calls from players, from the trainers, from their club staff. And so I'm still pretty heavily involved in um, uh, the day-to-day issues that come up with um, all of our players. Yeah, awesome. Love it. Well, we wish them the best of luck. We love watching them play. The Victory Tour has been fun as well. I mean, right. they just keep going. They're like Energizer bunnies. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> and I you too. Of, yeah, I mean, it really is unbelievable. But, you know, and that's what I'm talking about, their dedication to growing the game and, and – um, and, and that's why they do it. That's why they, they have this boundless energy because they know how important it is um, to keep on growing the game. It's awesome. Uh, one of the other big topics we talk about here on the On Her Turf podcast is this quote-unquote balance. <laughs> is it achievable? Can we do it? If we can, how do we do it? So I'd love to get your perspective, Dr. Rowe, on your tips to a healthy lifestyle, maybe things that you do personally that help support you emotionally, mentally, physically, all part of our well-being as we go through this crazy day-to-day uh, mm-hmm. rigorous life that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a big believer that if you do what you love, it never feels like work, right? So if you are fortunate to find uh, a space in your life where you get paid to do what you love, which I'm very fortunate that I get paid to do what I love, it doesn't feel like work to me. Um, And so uh, I think that a lot of times um, there are inflection points in people's lives where they have a choice to go one way or the other, and sometimes people... Um, choose based off of their head versus their heart. Maybe they pick something where they might get paid a little more than get paid less. And, you know, and, and those moments are critical in people's lives because that does shape how you view your day to day. Um, the whole idea, and I'm glad you didn't use the word work life balance because I don't know if it's a balance. It's just how you perceive, um, your life, right? And so some people to the outside world, it looks like they're working all the time, but to them, they have great balance because that's what they love to do. And so um, my advice to, to young people trying to decide their career path, find what you love to do, and then you'll never go wrong in pursuing that dream, right? Yeah, and so right. I think that's a critical piece to um, achieving a balance for yourself because um, if people, I've seen people who work less hours but dislike what they do and don't they are not satisfied with their work life balance and other people who work twice as much but love what they do and they think they have perfectly fine balance. So that balance is really in the eye of the beholder and, and the key is to just love what you do. Yeah, I I love everything you just said. And also the key is to block out what other people say about what you do because, I mean, I deal with this a lot with my job. People follow me on social media or they see what I'm doing. They see me on TV and it's like, oh my gosh, when do you stop? Do you even have a life outside of work? I think, well, I absolutely love what I do and I don't feel like I go to work every day of my life. I feel like I'm living my dream job. I truly believe that. I love the people I work with and I'm happy and balanced because of that. And uh, yeah, and I find that the people that judge are the ones that are just jealous because they wish they had that kind of perspective on their life and their job as well. Right. And that's the thing. Some people don't find what they're truly passionate about. So, and, and I think it's, uh, it's a matter of, you know, being open to all different opportunities because you don't know what you're going to love. 
And so, I, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think sometimes, and, and you know, not to paint the rosy picture that everything is perfect every moment of every day, but um, because I don't want people thinking that, you know, this was an easy job by any matter, stretch of the imagination. And I'm sure your job is not an easy job by any stretch of the imagination. But if you love what you do, all of those little details about why it's hard and it becomes less um, prominent in your mind. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, that's awesome. What do you, um, for those people that maybe aren't in professions that they're truly, you know, inspired by what they do, I mean, are there things that uh, that they can do on, that we can all do on a day-to-day basis to help us, whether it's, um, you know, meditation or reading a book or certain things that can really center you back to where you need to be? Yeah. Um, Exercise, I, maybe. And, and so it's, it's interesting. I, I think that it, because... It's interesting. In medical education, we talk a lot about wellness. So there is a big move in medical education that residents need better wellness, physicians need better wellness because burnout is a big prevalent issue. And um, I'll tell you, in my experience of managing resident wellness, different things work for different people, right? Mm -hmm. So I've set up experiences where I teach all the residents, uh, I bring in someone to teach them all meditation and, you know, half the people love it and half the people hate it. And, And, you know, I bring in an experience where we do yoga and again, quarter of the people love it, maybe three quarters of the people don't love it, you know? And so what I, what I usually um, tell people is you have to be open to trying different things. And so, and then you're going to find what works for you. For some people, it's running. For some people, it's yoga. For some people, it's going to be um, prayer. For some people, it is, uh, you know, watching mindless TV. You know, I, I think it's different for every person, but you got to figure out what works best. I, I think that's funny you said that because I, everybody always asks me, have you ever tried yoga? And I have tried it. And there's certain times <laughs> I've liked it, but I don't love it. I like to box. Like I need to hit a bag and like get every, all right. my frustrations. I love to run. Like I'm more of an impact. Right. Like you could tell me I could go sit in yoga and my brain is just going to go bananas because I, it goes, exactly. I can't, I can't exactly. force myself to meditate. Exactly. But at some point you had to decide you were going to try to box. Right. And to some people right. that's like preposterous. Like, why would I go box? But you know, they don't right. even think that, that that's an option, <laughs> but it works yeah. for you. And at some point you figure that out. And, and that's why I tell people just be open, try everything once and figure out what works best. Yeah, I will say the first time my girlfriend tried to get me to go boxing many, many times, and I all I kept thinking of was somebody punching me in the face. And I'm like, why would I ever do that? You know, sparring. But no, no, no. She's like, don't worry, you won't, you won't get hit in the face. But um, before I let you go, you know, you you've done, you've spent a whole career um, dealing with medicine and the physical and the mental aspects of uh, how it all comes together. Um, it, that we talk a lot about mental health, and you know, you see it a lot this month, especially. Uh, how mm-hmm. do you think we can finally end the stereotype? Type, the stigma surrounding mental health? Is it just more of having the conversations and the open dialogue? Right. I think it, that's absolutely the crux of it. And we have to be okay when someone um, comes in, uh, and opens up about a mental health issue that um, the conversation around it is supportive and not critical. Um, and that um, I really think it is about supporting the people who, 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 um, are brave enough to bring their mental health issues to the forefront because I think that model 
is going to show the others who are who potentially aren't brave enough to talk about it out loud that it's a safe space to talk about these things. And I think uh, um, I do think we're slowly chipping away. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we've reversed the stigma yet. But I do think it's the conversations that we're having now are much better than they were when I was growing up. Much better than they were ten years ago. And so um, I do think it's this. Uh, constant chipping away that we all just have to, we all take our part in that because we've all been involved in a conversation where someone maybe brings up the fact that they were depressed for a short period of time or someone brings up the fact, uh, the, um, a story about having a panic attack. And how we react to that story on a human-to-human level, that's how we're going to break the stigma over time. It's not one huge, massive campaign. It's how we choose day-to-day to go about this. Awesome. Dr. Rowe, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, You are the first doctor we've had on the podcast, and you've just educated us so much throughout this conversation. I know our On Her Turf audience is really going to enjoy this and the stories you shared with us about the U.S. Women's National Team, too. I mean, just awesome stuff. I I thank you so much, and I hope we can have you on again sometime down the road. Yes, thanks so much. It's an honor to be here and be asked to to speak to you, and I'm honored that I'm the first doctor. (laughs) <laughs> yes, you are. You are. First of uh hopefully we'll have you on many more times down the road because right. your perspective Sounds is great. just tremendous. So thank you so much. All right. Have a good one. Take care. Our thanks to Dr. Rowe for her time. You can download the On Her Turf podcast on the NBC Sports Scores app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please let us know what you think and be sure to check us out on Instagram at On Her Turf. Hope you join us next time for the On Her Turf podcast. <laughs>